I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 9 in its entirety so you can hear the full passage, and then we're going to be explaining it. So it's 2 Timothy chapter 3 is what we're reading, okay? But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households, And they capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Yay. Um, so we go verse by verse through these passages that revolve. We're going through 2 Timothy, and this is the next passage. We didn't pick this because it's the 4th of July, you know what I mean? We picked this because it was next. And so we believe that God has something to say to us today. Amen? Okay. Guys, these are weird days. I mean, how many of you have decided that you just can't watch the news because you get too upset? Is it only me? probably a lot of us, right? But you don't want to be ignorant to what's going on. But every time you turn on the news, you're like, there's no way that happened. And then you find out that it did happen. And you're like, seriously? It really happened? Like there's a guy testifying about UFOs in Congress? And he said, well, there's this nine-foot-tall guy who came out. He was talking to me. And they're like, well, how about you come talk to the Senate about this? We used to have a place for these kinds of things. It was called the National Enquirer. I don't know if that's still in circulation. But last time I checked... Anyway, guys, these are really weird times. Um, one of the websites that I follow, their whole, they started during the pandemic, and their, their whole shtick was sharing news that there's no way it's true. But everything they share is true, and sometimes it's funny, and sometimes it's terrifying. Um, satire is reality. I remember when I was in college, we used to read this um, website called The Onion, and I don't read anymore because you guys would judge me. Um, I really don't. But the point is, it was a whole satire news site. Now, satire is real. The stuff that you thought would never happen is now reality. The things that you see around you, you say, there's no way this is true. But it is true. It's true. And it feels like every week that goes by, I'm still surprised but I feel like I shouldn't be surprised anymore. Does anybody else feel like that? You feel like by now you should be like, oh, this is obviously normal, but it still shocks us as we look at things, as we talk with people, as we interact with people, as we get told off with people by, by people for doing something. We only know what we did, right? It's weird days. But, you know, we're in good company because it it's always been weird days. I don't know if you guys knew that. It's always been weird days. It was pagan days in Paul's age. Yes, he's writing to Ephesus where there was a love cult, right? You can imagine what they did there. I mean, the whole religion is based around love, okay? And here we are 
reading Paul's last letter to Timothy, who's in Ephesus. And Timothy is trying, he's trying to explain to Timothy the things he needs to know because Paul's going to die soon and he wants to give him this last bit of advice. And in the first two chapters of 2 Timothy, Paul has exhorted Timothy. He said, look, Timothy, you got to stay true to the gospel because it's all we have. Don't be ashamed about it. Don't be ashamed about what the gospel says. Instead, be willing to suffer for the gospel because in Ephesus, Timothy, you live in a context where you suffer for the gospel. By the way, the historians believe, and there's no way they can verify this because he's dead, but historians believe that Timothy was martyred during an evangelical um, outreach where he was speaking out against the sexual dysfunction of Ephesus, and he was killed for it. And so this is very real for Timothy, where Paul is saying, Timothy, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel when people don't want to hear it. Be willing to suffer for it. You know me, Timothy. Um, I've been chained, I've been beaten with chains, I've been shipwrecked, I've been flogged, I've been, and Timothy's like, yeah, I know, I do know you. That's why I don't want to do this, because I know what happened to you. But Paul says, join me in suffering. He warns Timothy in these first two chapters, steer clear of false teaching. He says, you got to confront that false teaching. And now Paul's going to kind of widen the lens. He's going to broaden this to include opposition to the gospel in the last days. And Paul says, look, difficult times are coming, and he's going to explain why. He's going to warn that false teachers will emerge amid the general wickedness of the last days. All right, so we're in verse 1. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Okay, stop right there. Point number one, guys, point number one is this. Difficult times are here, and they're here to stay, right? That's what you need to write down. Difficult times are here, and they are here to stay. Um, 96 credits in my Master's of Divinity taught me that this first word here is but. And that means that there's a previous part, and Paul is drawing a contrast. You see, in the previous section, he said you need to try to correct false teaching with gentleness, not anger, with respect, with love, with truth. He says you need to try to correct false teaching and false behavior. And now he draws a contrast and he says, but, but. In other words, but, Timothy, not everybody's going to listen. And it's only going to get worse. And it's going to grow more difficult. It's not going to get easier. So if you're waiting for the good old days to return, Timothy, stop waiting. They're not coming back. Guys, can I be extremely upfront with you? They're not coming back. It doesn't matter who gets elected. It doesn't matter what happens in 2024 or 2025 or 2026. We know the end of this story. The barrel goes over the Niagara Falls, okay? That's where it goes. And Paul says it right here. He says, understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for us as followers of Christ, maybe you're here, you're not a follower of Christ. That's fine. We're glad you're here. We want you to honestly understand what the Bible teaches. I don't feel like I need to market you. I don't feel like I need to try to convince you like you didn't know this was a church service. Okay, you're here. I'm telling you what the Bible says. For us as followers of Jesus, the world is not on our side. The world, according to the Bible, is defined to be the kingdom of Satan, where Satan rules. It's not on our side. It is against us. It is surreptitious. It is sneaky, it is cunning, but it is against us. Now, the reality is this. We should not be shocked 
we should not be shocked when the world is against the gospel. Somehow we still are. And we all just acknowledged it a couple minutes ago. We're still shocked. We shouldn't be shocked. You know, we read something on the news, we're shocked. You know, it's kind of like when someone says to you, I don't mean to make fun of this, but it's like when someone says to you, my grandma died. And you say, I'm so sorry. How old was she? 107. And you're like, I guess you saw it coming. All right? We shouldn't be shocked. We should not be shocked by the wickedness in the world around us. We should not be shocked that the world doesn't have the same ethics and morals and values that you do. Even the conservative world, if it's the world, it's against you. You hear me? Last days. He says, understand this, in the last days. You see, it's easier for us to read this and we go, oh man, it is going to get rotten. But when the, when the New Testament uses this phrase in the last days, it refers always to the period of time after the ascension of Christ up until the really last days when Jesus returns. And so in other words, Paul is saying, Timothy, it's the last days. It's going to be difficult. It's going to get more difficult, and it's going to get worse before it gets worse. And then Jesus is going to come back. And so this isn't something that we can dismiss and say, well, one day it's going to be bad. No, the point is, it was bad. It's been bad. We're in a downward spiral, and it's only going to get worse. And so there's times of great trouble on the horizon. And so stop being shocked that the world is a mess. He says there's going to be times of difficulty. This word difficulty is only used twice in the New Testament. And the other time it's used, it's used to describe demon-possessed men who are always fighting. And so the word means it's hard to bear. It means it's painful. It means it's grievous. It means it's sore. You see, like I've said before, I'm saying it again because we are forgetful pilgrims. We're slow to learn. Somehow, even with all of these clear warnings in the Scripture, from the beginning to the end, we are still shocked by difficult times. We're still shocked by sin and death. We're still shocked by opposition to the truth. Even though we have a very clear pattern that's a really long book, and we've had it for a long time, but we're still surprised when we see it face to face. See, Paul's point in using this word is this idea that people who do not know Christ or have not been influenced by his love and grace can, not always, I'm not drawing this broad, this broad brushstroke, but they can be difficult to bear with, painful to bear with, and grievous. And when you encounter people who are like that because you're a follower of Christ, you shouldn't be shocked because Paul warned you 2,000 years ago that this was going to be our reality. As a man reaps, so he sows, okay? And so understand this. Point number one, difficult times are here. They are here to stay, and they're only going to get worse. How encouraged are you? Do you guys understand what I'm trying to say here? And that means tomorrow, when you see something really weird in the news, you can't turn to your wife and go, I don't believe this garbage. You say, I believe this garbage. <laughs> I believe this is actually happening, okay? So we're going to continue. Verse 2. He begins this next section with the word for, right? In other words, it's a causal word, because. Why will times of difficulty come? Because. And now he's going to explain it. 
Four, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They will be proud. They'll be arrogant. They'll be abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. All right, so if you track Paul's argument, this is what he says. He says the world's going to be difficult because of people like this. Because people are going to be like this, that's why the world is going to be a difficult place for followers of Jesus. So why are difficult times here and here to stay? Point number two. Difficult times are here because people do not love God, nor do they love the things of God. That's why difficult times are here. Now, Does that mean things are as bad as they could be? Not necessarily. Does that mean that things might change in terms of it will be less terrible if this person is elected or that person is elected? Maybe. Okay, but the point is this. The difficult times are not here because a Republican is in power or a Democrat's in power or a Libertarian's in power or, you know, Nader's Raiders are in power, the Green Party, okay? Difficult times are here because people in the world, do not love God and do not love the things of God. Now, he then lists 19 characteristics, and I'm going to explain every one of them, okay? He lists 19 characteristics of the way people are, okay? And I want you to to hear these characteristics because I want you to realize, guys, we're here. The difficult times are here to stay. Lover of self. Do you realize that if you love yourself, which is promoted in all of our pop psychology and modern stuff, right? It's not about loving yourself, by the way. It's about knowing that you're loved. If you know that you're loved by your heavenly father, that's very different than just staring in a mirror and being like, Bill, you're a winner and people like you and and you, you have impeccable penmanship, right? Whatever it might be. Lover of self. If you love yourself, That means you don't love others because love by nature is outside of you. Do you realize one of the the things we talked about in doctrine class before is the fact that one of the greatest Trinitarian statements in the Bible is God is love. Because for God to be love, he needs to love others. And the threeness, the three-in-oneness of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this three-in-oneness... In this three-in-oneness, this Trinitarian Godhead is love because the Father loves the Son, loves the Spirit, loving one another even though they're one. I know it's super confusing. But the point is this. God is love because he's Trinitarian. For me to be a lover of myself, that means I'm really not actually loving because loving goes outside of me. So to be a lover of self is really to be an idolater. Lover of money. Well, Jesus said very clearly, you can't serve both God and money. Proud, arrogant, that means a braggart, right? Someone who's proud, someone who's arrogant. They're the one who's always trying to one-up you, whatever it might be. Like, I just caught a flounder. It was six pounds. I caught a flounder. That was seven pounds. Well, good for you, all right? I did a nice job, so stop picking on me. A braggart is always trying to one-up you. Someone who's abusive, this root word for blasphemy is the same root word as it is for blasphemy. 
in, in the New Testament. So when Paul says that somebody's abusive, it's the same etymological root as the word for blasphemy. And so essentially, if you were being abusive towards God with your words, it would be blasphemy. But when you're being blasphemous towards another person, you can't be blasphemous because they're not God. You're just being abusive. You're bashing. You're slandering them with your words. People are disobedient to the parents. I don't think we need to define that one. Ungrateful. Um, Ungrateful literally means to be unable to see God's blessing. Ungrateful means to be unable to see God's blessing, to be unthankful that when you look at your life, you are ignorant to all of the things that God has done for you. All the things. It's like first world, first world problems. Unholy. Unholy is defined as a disdain for what is sacred. Specifically, it's making a mockery of what is sacred. So in things, things of the news, for example, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Okay? That's a great example of something that is unholy. It's not interesting. It's not fascinating. It's not cutting edge or progressive. The Bible literally describes it as unholy. Heartless. Heartless literally means, I know I'm using the word literally a lot, now I'm going to be aware of it all the time. Heartless literally means not having natural affection, okay? That's what heartless means. Heartless means not having natural affection. So if a mama bear doesn't care that her cubs are killed in front of her, she's heartless because the natural affection that is ingrained within her is turned off. Are you guys following me? So I want you to... I I don't know if I can even give examples without losing it. I want you to think of all the examples in our society of where the natural affections of how you should feel for a child, of how you should feel for family, of how you should feel for the unborn, of how you should feel. We are living in a heartless world. From abortion to parents caring more about their careers than their children. Natural affection is turned off. This is the world we live in, heartless. A heartless world is to flip a switch so that all that God has put in you naturally, which should stir your affections, is dead. Unappeasable. Unappeasable means a person who only cares about winning and not about reconciliation or relationship. Somebody who's unappeasable, all they care about is that they're right, you're wrong, period. The relationship isn't important as long as I'm right. Slanderous means to speak ill of people. Do you know that the the Greek root word for slanderous is is diabolos? You know what else comes from that? Diablo, right? <laughs> Diablo, maybe you've heard of him. His name's the devil, okay? And so literally, the word for slander has the same root as the word for devil because he is the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. And so when we slander other people, we are, do, we are acting like the devil. That's what this word means. 
It says that we are without self-control in this day and age. That means that you are enslaved to your desires. To lack self-control means that something else controls you. Um, it means that you are brutal. The next word, brutal, refers to being feral, like an unthinking beast, only driven by animal passion, pleasure, and pursuit. It says you don't love what's good. You're treacherous. Literally, a traitor or a betrayer. Reckless, someone who is headstrong. This is what reckless means. Someone who is headstrong, someone who is rash, someone who is unthinking. No, God does not have reckless love. His love is not headstrong, rash, and unthinking. It is other-centered, strategic, selfless, planned, and meditated. Swollen with conceit means to be puffed up because you don't think you need salvation. You don't think you need God. You don't think you need anyone but yourself. So you're puffed up. Lovers of pleasure, preoccupied with pleasure and its pursuit above all, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Someone who looks like they have religion. Someone who looks like they have piety. Someone who looks like they have these things but on the inside they're unchanged Maybe they go to church, maybe they go to temple, maybe they go to mosque, maybe they celebrated aid this past week, maybe they say they believe in God, maybe they say they believe in spirits, maybe they have all kinds of crystals in their house, absorb the bad juju, right, whatever it might be. So people have the appearance of something that is spiritual, something that is interesting, something that is fascinating, oh, it's so spiritual, but they have no power to actually change because those things don't have power. And so Paul's advice, he says, look, in the previous chapter, he said, you need to correct your opponents. You need to rebuke them with love, but with truth. Don't be, a, don't be a baby about it. Like, you need to rebuke them. And he says, but know this. The people who are like this, who aren't going to change, he says, avoid them. They won't listen to reason. They want to flaunt their sin. Pray for them, yes. Preach the gospel to them, yes. But avoid them. I read Matthew the other day, and one of the things that Jesus says in Matthew, they come to Jesus and they say, the Pharisees are saying this, and I'm paraphrasing. Jesus basically goes, who cares? He's like, who cares what the Pharisees say? I'm not bothered by that. Like, they're the blind leading the blind. They're stubborn. They're thick-skulled. I'm not going to waste my time on them when I have prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors who are ripe to hear about the gospel and want to receive it. Good advice for us. Don't put your head against a wall trying to convince people who don't want to hear it anyway. Just move on. Just move on. Because there's a lot of other people who are ready to hear. And we get tunnel vision about who doesn't want to hear because our pride gets in the way and we go, if I can just convince them, if I can just convince them, if I can just convince them. Meanwhile, there's people passing you by who are ready to hear from the God. They're ready to hear about the gospel. They're ready to hear about truth. But you're so set on that person, you're missing what God is doing all around you. Spirit of God goes this way and that. Nobody knows where it's going, where it's coming from, but we're missing it because in our pride, we want to win and we want to convince that person. Let it go. Here's a quote from a commentary that I read this week. Oh, actually, let me I jump, jump ahead of myself. So Paul's advice is to avoid these people. He probably has in mind, just to be totally 
honest with the interpretation of this text, he probably has in mind primarily excommunication from the church. That Paul is saying, these people, you need to discontinue their church membership. In other words, treat them as people who don't know Christ. Don't give them a platform to teach. Don't give them a platform to preach. Don't give them a platform to influence your people. They can't lead a discipleship group. You don't recommend their books. You don't listen to their podcasts. You don't follow them on Instagram. Avoid them. That's what Paul is trying to say. And why? Why, Paul? What's the big deal? Because sometimes as the church confronts the world, the world creeps into the church. And this is what we see time and time again. Why is sexual sin infecting the church? Because it infected the world first. Why do churches no longer believe in the Bible? Well, because they turn to secular scholarship for their education instead of turning to the Bible. The world is not on your side. The world is, by definition, the kingdom of Satan. And so when we are influenced by the kingdom of Satan in our ministry methods, when we go to the kingdom of Satan to teach us how to run a church, when we go to the kingdom of Satan to teach us how to counsel our people, when we go to the kingdom of Satan to teach us about pop psychology and parenting, when we go to the kingdom of Satan to do these things, why should we be shocked when the kingdom of Satan infects the church? We let it in. Because the Bible wasn't enough. The Spirit of God wasn't enough. The people of God wasn't enough for us. Don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. Do not expect the world to behave like Christ. And do not emulate the world as the people of God. Point number two, difficult times are here because people do not love God. Nor do they love the things of God. Verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women on YouTube, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. So these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was, as was that of those two men. So, The question becomes, well, how is the world a threat to the church, Paul? And this is what he's going to say. Summarize, point number three. People influenced by the world will produce content influenced by the world. And if you let that creep into your life, it will destroy you. Follow me? People influenced by the world will produce content influenced by the world. Not surprised. And if you let that content be the thing that influences you and shapes your kids and molds the way you think about everything from modesty to money, guess what? You're going to act like the world. And you're going to fill that list. Now, let's acknowledge up front, Paul is not saying the big problem is women. That's not what Paul's saying here, okay? This is obviously an issue in Ephesus. We don't know the details, Okay, he says, weak women burdened with sin led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. But we don't know the specifics of what was going on with those women in Ephesus, but we can draw some principles from what that represents. And the first thing that group represents is this, people who are isolated. All right, so in that day and age, women at the household, while the men's out doing his thing, working, they're isolated at home. Isolated. I was talking with one of our elders, Dave Walker, this week, and one of the things he said to me is that they had a great friend, still have a good friend, who would always say, is that true? 
In other words, when we isolate ourselves, we don't have anyone asking a very simple question. Is that true? That when we read something, nobody says to us, is that true? When we start telling ourselves a story about something that happened at work or whatever it might be, no one's saying, yeah, but is that true? Or are you just telling yourself that? And so nobody is pushing on us to hold us accountable with the things that we let into our life because nobody is saying, is that true? When you isolate yourself, the Proverbs say you're a fool. Because isolated people get into an echo chamber and then they're easily manipulated because nobody's watching them. Nobody's accountable. They're not accountable to anybody. Nobody has authority over them. And the enemy essentially separates the sheep from the herd, from the flock, and then the wolf can come in and eat it. And so one of the first things that he warns us of is this, isolated people. You probably know some isolated people. Christians, you say, I don't need community. I have podcasts. Oh, you mean teaching that goes into your, mm, what is this? Oh, okay. Creeps into households. I'm sure that's safe. We need community. We need community to hold us accountable. It's more than knowledge. We need community. Second thing he says is this, people burdened by sins. People who are plagued by shame from their past. People who won't let the gospel mop up the mess and they just hold it like a backpack. Oh, I can't forgive myself for what I did. Look, I'm going to be honest. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be callous. I know that I can be those kinds of things sometimes. Look, Jesus forgave you if you're a believer. You can forgive yourself. Your standards aren't more than Jesus' standards. Jesus forgave you and wiped it clean. If you can't forgive yourself about something that happened 5, 10, 15, 50 years ago, you're basically saying my standards are higher than God's, which is probably not a good thing to have. Jesus forgave you. You can forgive yourself. Jesus publicly displayed your sin on the cross. You don't need to carry it around in a little backpack of shame. Sheep who are weak and wounded are primary targets for wolves because why would you go after the strong when you can go after the weak and the wounded? That's why Jesus says you tie the strong man up and then you pillage his house. But why would you fight the strong man when you can just twist the knife that's already in somebody's back? False teachers are drawn to weak people, and they know exactly how to manipulate them. And weak people are drawn to false teaching. He says people who are led astray by various passions. As an addict example, as an example, an addict knows the tension of always having that hungry dog in the corner. It's always there. It's always lurking. It's always wanting. People who are led astray by passions, they have a zest for life. They love to party. They love to pursue pleasure. They love that Miami lifestyle. Guys, this is Cape May County. Like, there's not a whole lot to do besides eat and drink. You know what I mean? It's like, do you do it on a boat? Do you do it on a beach? Do you do it in a box? Do you do it with a fox? Okay? I mean, that's Cape May County. And so we need to be aware. These are led astray by various passions. When this is our life, when we're led astray by various passions and we're just living for that, living for that, living for that, we're putting ourselves in a dangerous place. And the fourth type of uh, person that he says to be aware of in terms of people who are prone to false teachers are people who are always learning and never finding truth. Have you ever met people, maybe you have some friends who pride themselves on having an open mind? They say, I try to have an open mind. And I just want to hear these murderous opinions. 
have an open mind. <laughs> Maybe you like to keep an open mind. <laughs> keep an open mind. But what if your mind is so open that you never actually fall to any settled conviction on anything? That your mind is so open, you're wishy-washy. You're like a wave tossed this way and that. James says that's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Um, yes, I know it's out of vogue to have opinions. Now you just need to have no opinions about anything. Um, the Bible would say that's not a mature way to be. Be a settled person who finds their conviction in the Word of God. I noticed something funny, not funny, I noticed something sad during the pandemic that um, as we were engaging with people and people weren't interacting with each other, they started interacting with YouTube. And all of a sudden, as a pastor, I started having these conversations about stuff. And I would be like, wait, what? Like I had one person, they said, well, you know, the problem is we're not following the Jewish feasts anymore. And this is what we need to do. And I was like, wait, what? Like you, does, I think the Bible is really clear about not going back to that. That that didn't lead to salvation. That's just a shadow and Jesus is the substance. People get caught in this thing and they just want to learn, learn, learn. And then they don't have community. Someone's saying, that's crazy. And they don't have someone calling them out. And then they just start absorbing it, absorbing it, absorbing it. And then you know what? So many of those people fell away because they got caught in that side Sideways energy. Paul says the false teachers are like Janus and Jambres. Those were the two magicians that served under Pharaoh in the story of Moses. And, you know, with those two magicians, this is what they did is Moses would do a miracle, and then they would use, like, their secret, like their cauldron. I'll do that two weeks in a row. You know, they would do the cauldron, and they would duplicate their Moses's miracle. And they'd say, well, we can turn water to blood. And they like, pour red food dye in it. And they did that a few times, but it was only like the first couple miracles. And then all of a sudden, they were like, ta-da. Oh, we can't make it hail, actually. And ta-da. You know, and no, it didn't work again. And so then everybody goes, Janice and Jambres are fools. Everybody saw them for the charlatans they were after a few rounds. And so the point is this. Paul says, these false teachers, they're not going to get far. Why? Because you're going to know them by their fruit. Exactly like Dina read in Matthew 7. All right, let me pull this together. Difficult times are here. Stop being surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised by difficult times, by suffering, by wickedness. Don't be overwhelmed when good old-fashioned values aren't the norm. Difficult times are here, and they're here to stay. Two, difficult times are caused by sin. They're caused by sinful people, people who don't know God, who don't love God, because they haven't experienced the love of God, which is what they need. They need to experience the love of God. You can't take sin out of the world, but Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and the work of the devil is sin. You can avoid it. You cannot fall prey to it. You can preach the gospel to people who are trapped in the kingdom of Satan so that they can be freed so that they can encounter freedom. But just getting mad about it, as I know it's easy, just getting mad, it doesn't accomplish a whole lot. Because James says the, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. I think it's James 1.19. Three, be aware of those around you who are at risk for manipulation and do a self-assessment on yourself. 
Do I isolate myself from other believers, not letting them speak truth into my life? Do I truly believe that my church elders have my best interest? Do I trust them as much as I do the internet? If I had a dollar for every time somebody asked me a question and they go, well, I just Googled it. I'm like, well, I hope you read something that makes sense <laughs> because there's a lot of weird stuff on the internet and just because a church paid money to make an app about it doesn't mean it's good, all right? Am I burdened by my past sins, constantly overwhelmed with guilt? Do you know someone like that? Do I have an unhealthy love for pleasure, constantly waiting for the next weekend, the next boat outing, the next date, the next beer, the next so on and so forth? Be on guard. Do I allow unhealthy teaching to creep into my home? Do you, for example, listen to unhealthy teaching like Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, conspiracy theories, New Age Christianity, secular psychology for parenting your children, things that are shaped by the world and not shaped by the gospel? I'd like to suggest that there's a better way you know, guys, the biggest source of false teaching today is not the pulpit, but the internet. And I would like to suggest a better way, a better way forward than going to all these other things. Why not root yourself in the Word rather than St. Google? Why not ask your church community for wisdom instead of chat GPT? This is why God has given us one another. The elders who are here um, if you're if elders, can you raise your hands? I know David's not here today, but you know we have Dave Walker, we have Brett, and we have Steve, myself. Victor Davis is an elder candidate. The elders who are here, guys, listen. The Bible says we will be held accountable for your souls. You better believe we take this seriously. And so we would just ask you, be rooted in the word. Be committed to your church family. Come to your elders. Come to your church community for questions rather than running to the world for advice. Difficult times are here. They're here to stay. But you don't need to be controlled by them. You don't need to be swayed by them. You can navigate them with truth by being focused on the Word of God and embedded in a healthy biblical community. Does that make sense? Um, okay, the worship team, I guess you guys can come up. I'm sorry I went a little bit late, but let me pray. Father God, as we draw to a close, we are reminded that you truly are the good father, the good father who, has, who leads us into truth, who sent us his son so that we might know life, who sent the spirit that we might be led into truth, reminded of truth. God, I ask and pray that anything that I said in my flesh would be forgotten and anything from your spirit would be remembered. God, I ask and pray that you would help us to root ourselves in your word so that we don't fall prey and that we're very even-keeled as the world around us crumbles. Help us not to be double-minded people, but to be people who are steadfast, perseverant, and resolute. In your name we pray. Amen.